I uh, found uh, the This Week in Baseball theme. On oh, the dang. Options I was given. So it's like, yeah, uh, of course. How could I? Oh man, that is that is yeah, that's that's good. It's peppy. It's nostalgic too. Yeah, it's very. I, I yeah, it's and, kind of classy in a weird way because it's got a lot of that that string trilling in the background. It it feels very like if this wasn't this week in baseball, it would almost be like an NPR kind of vibe to it. <laughs> totally. And the, I mean, of all shows that could use a reboot too, like that, I would I, I would watch that. I would DVR that every week. You know. Yeah. Kind of surprising that MLB Network doesn't do like a regular This Week in Baseball feature. At, uh, I guess they probably think that's what they are all yeah. the time, but it's, it's, it's not though, really, you know? Don't really have like the, the one show that just wraps up the week nicely in like 30 minutes and is kind of packaged for, hey, if you're a casual fan, tune into this and this is all the cool shit you missed over yeah. the course of one week. At, uh, it, it, quick Pitch is kind of like that, but it's also, it's always super late at night and... Mm-hmm. Most of the stuff during the day is either uh, kind of fun morning show, just kind of relaxed hang, or Chris Russo yelling stupidly at people for an hour. <laughs> yeah, I have nothing is. Uh, there are a few things in life that have actually forced me to stop my workout suddenly than when Chris <laughs> Russo comes on and I'm like, and I have to stop doing it to go change the channel to anything else. Uh, yeah. So even this, if I'm like listening to music, I just don't yeah. want, I don't even know how ratings I, with TV work really at this point. I don't know what registers if they, if everyone's reading through my DVR or whatever, but if they are, I don't want the points to go there. Like same thing <laughs> when I wake up and you know, if I wake up and it's on the Stephen A show or something, I'm like, no, don't, don't let me be a part of this problem. <laughs> I would venture to guess that whatever Nielsen ratings measurement devices out there shows a remarkable drop between the little space between and good afternoon, everybody. And in that space, 20,000 people go away. So, yeah. Right. So, yeah, I guess we're started. On oh, this good. Panel. So uh, we, cool. we did the parent start. So good job. Uh, so that means that uh, by the end of this podcast, I'll have several million listeners, too, and we'll be booking the former President Obama for my next guest, right? I think that's uh, how it works. Uh, that's great. I'd be happy to open for Obama. That would be a, <laughs> that would be a wonderful one to punch. You'll probably get a, a few cats if the Marin yeah. thing holds up. You'll get yeah. and maybe lose cats. <laughs> what, a, what a roller coaster emotionally it will be. And yeah. people from the upcoming uh, movie adaptation of the musical Cats, too. That could be fun. <laughs> Hell yeah, totally. Yeah, almost got that out with, without stuttering. So that's <laughs> yeah, technique right there. Uh, so hello, by the way, everybody. Uh, the, uh, this is uh, this is uh, this is out uh, because you know out that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, you're kind of required as a gay person talking about sports to work an out pun in there somewhere. So there you go. <laughs> Contractual build. Uh, my name is Ken Schultz. I'm an out sports contributor as well as contributing to Baseball Prospectus and Cubs Den throughout the year. Uh, super huge baseball nerd. This is essentially going to be a baseball and other stuff occasionally podcast. Um, my first guest on it is one of my very best friends in the world, uh, one of my best friends in comedy. Uh, my friend Kevin McCaffrey has appeared on The Late Show with David Letterman, crushing it from, was it four years ago, Kevin? Uh, God, yeah. I mean, I think I think it was six at this point, or almost, almost six. It was yeah. uh, the day before Thanksgiving 2013. Uh, mm-hmm. is when when that happened thanks yeah uh and uh, is also a former monologue writer for late show with david letterman mm-hmm. currently host of the away game chicago cubs podcast with our collective friend adam mamawala 
which I say like it's communism there for some reason. <laughs> yes, yes, he, he is our collective. <laughs> yes, uh, one as one goes all. But yeah, <laughs> we'll be coming out with our manifesto later on in the year uh, once the Cubs hire their new manager. Yeah, good and also host of the Sex and the City It's podcast, which uh, from the outsports audience, I'm going to guess is probably a bit more popular than the Chicago Cubs podcast. <laughs> Possibly. Gonna, yeah, assume that. Yeah, uh, we so want. Now that we're done with your credits, uh, it's been a pleasure, Kevin. Thanks for coming, and uh, thanks for listening, everybody. For great, great show. This yeah. is wonderful. I feel like I feel like we both nailed it. Yeah, uh, but we are uh, both super huge baseball nerds from as far back as we can remember. Uh, giant Chicago Cubs fans, but also of the sport in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's how we met. Kinda, we met. Yeah. I guess comedy and baseball, sort of. Yes. Yeah, hanging out uh, one night in an East Village show called Cabin that used to be like the major New York City comedy show to hang out at every Thursday night. Yeah. And uh, pretty sure I was wearing a Cubs jacket because it was a day that ended in Y. <laughs> yes, very much so. And yeah, that- uh, yeah we got introduced by our friend Sean Donnelly. And uh, Sean mentioned that you were from Chicago too. Uh, I don't know if he mentioned that you were a Cub fan right away, but uh, whenever I hear Chicago within 30 seconds, that will be asked of you. And uh, you answered correctly. And, <laughs> yes. uh yeah, we've been friends for damn near a decade ever since. So. Yeah, I mean, that had to be like, yeah, 2010-ish, maybe, something like yeah. that. Yeah, at uh, the the rare uh, late-era Lou Pinella-era Cubs bringing someone together. <laughs> yeah, there was, that was, wasn't the most loving uh, era. Uh, <laughs> Who are uh, our collective yeah. opinion about Randy Wells. Wow. <laughs> yeah. We like we like a one uh, one year wonders who uh, allegedly <laughs> were gigantic drunks. <laughs> um, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I guess uh, since uh, we're starting a baseball po- podcast a couple days before the World Series, uh, I guess first question throughout there: uh, Houston Washington World Series, yay or nay? Uh, I mean, it should be really. I mean, it should be really good. I think yeah. basic, you know, I think the, the it should be a really good series. You'd be hard pressed to find. I can't remember last time there was a better, like top half of the rotation versus top half of the rotation. Like games one through three are just going to be, you know, a, a few Hall of Famers, a few All Stars yeah. going up against each other, and with uh with just a lot of cool stories too. You know, you have the, you have the number one overall picks mm-hmm. between Cole and Strasburg. Uh, you know, and uh, Verlander and Cole had historically good this uh, years this year. Scherzer is just like the most he's my favorite non-cub pitcher. Scherzer yeah, is. That's a good call, I think. Uh, uh, he's just nuts. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have three legit Hall of Fame pitchers in that group already between Scherzer, Verlander and Granke. Yeah. And then they're probably like among if you ranked the five pitchers in terms of postseason performance, those are like the bottom three of right. that group of five. Uh, mm-hmm. And if we somehow get a Strasburg versus Cole matchup, like that is unstoppable force, immovable object. Because, uh, yeah, Strasburg got hit briefly at the start of like game five against the Dodgers. And other than that, has given up nothing. Uh, and then Just Cole, it's like Cole, uh, it was agreed by everyone, did not have anywhere close to his best stuff in his one start against the Yankees. And that was what, seven innings of one run ball? So I think, uh, yeah, was it, did it, did he even give up the, a run? It was like, or yeah, he did, uh, right? Or, it, yeah, cause, I, yeah, I, I think, I, yeah, he gave up like five walks. That was the most uncharacteristic part, but like nobody crossed the plate. That's right. Yes, that's right. And then I think it was the start before that, uh, that Cole threw seven innings, struck out seven, uh, gave up two hits, 
and no walks. And uh, it was the and this surprise. This is weird, but it, I saw a stat that that was the only start. There had only been one other start in postseason history where a pitcher went seven innings, struck out seven, gave up two or less base runners, and it was uh, Don Larson's perfect game, and that was it. <laughs> like uh, yeah, so at this level, um, like, yeah, it, that yeah at the championship different. series level, yeah. Yeah, if, if anytime you get talked in the same breath as Don Larson's perfect game, that, that seems like you're doing okay in yeah. the postseason. Yeah, That's, so it's uh, like this, oh man. And it's like the, the Astros really, it is a weird combination of the Astros being a t- like pretty much the team of this, I mean, however you want to define generation, like the last mm-hmm. five years there, I, I think at yeah. this point you'd say they, they've been the premier team. And then the Nationals have been very good for a very long time and have had literally no postseason success until now when they've eliminated right. all the teams you and I personally would like to see leave. So that's mm-hmm. been nice. Yeah, the, the, the uh, Nationals have been kind of the Van Helsing of the MLB postseason. <laughs> between the, the Brewers, the uh, the Dodgers, the Cardinals, somewhat less the Dodgers. I, I really have no beef with the Dodgers. No, same. But... Yeah, I think we both would have been fine if they were in it, too. That would have been a very good, like, you know, yeah. a couple of Goliaths oh, yeah. matchup, too. But And, yeah, you know, the story of, you know, is this the time Kershaw finally steps up? Well, which, I mean... He does occasionally step up in the World Series. That's and and the postseason. That's the yeah. thing. It's it's uh, it's not like the, the narrative is that he never does. But you and I both remember, like for instance, 2016 Game Two of the NLCS, where he came off short rests uh, from closing out the Nationals in the previous series. Yeah, and didn't give up a run to the mm-hmm. Cubs. Uh, no. Was it was a two hitter? That yeah, that, uh, yeah, and two weak ones, I think. Uh, like yeah. if that, and then I mean. <clears throat> and then again, uh, last year, didn't he shut, d- didn't he close the door on the Brewers too in the NLCS? Uh, wasn't he pitching at the end there? And then, yeah. <clears throat> and in the uh, World Series against the Astros, the first game, he shut mm-hmm. them down too. So, I mean, yeah, right. it's. And then came in after all was lost, unfortunately, after you lost, uh, uh, lost mostly lost game seven in the first two innings. Kershaw came in and pitched like the last three or four and yeah. gave up at all. Yeah. So yeah, it's not like he's never good, but uh, he is. He, he picks like the worst possible times to remind people that occasionally he gets gets hit and it's, hit hard. Oh yeah, it's super annoying. As Cubs fans, uh, it's it, it. As baseball fans in general, who try to be reasonable uh, <laughs> and who like good people, it's very annoying when the easy negative narrative gets reinforced. Like yeah. just because. Statistically, sometimes it will, and that's mm-hmm. there's a there's a Cubs player. If you're not specifically a Cubs fan, there's a player named Pedro Strope who's who's lovely, right. one of the best Instagram followers in the game. Um, real d bags tend to hate the way he turns his hat to one side. And I was <laughs> in the bleachers as people were talking a bunch of shit about him. I was with my brother Pat, and I was just and I was saying statistically, there's been no better Cubs reliever over this right. many years. I, I mean, right. going back a very long time, and then he gave up a three run homer. Uh, mm-hmm. immediately and blew the save. And I was like, I mean, I'm still right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it sucks. Talk. If yeah. any of you have any memory at all beyond like today's actual game, you realize how many times he's been there and come through. But again, you're talking to fans in the bleachers who probably don't have memories past the third inning that they just witnessed. Uh, uh, yes, a lot of, yeah. A lot of, much the- of their energy to how high can we stack this can of empty beer or the, this snake of empty beer cups. Uh, yeah. A lot of them so, around me were that way, yes. Yeah, yeah. So your 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 problem is we're we're trying to use logic talking to baseball fans, and that <laughs> almost never works. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here is my thought uh, yes. with with regards to uh, this upcoming World Series, especially regarding Washington, because uh, I kind of dig this. Washington to me 
is the answer is we're going to find out the answer to the question. Can a team still win using the old Arizona Diamondback strategy from 20 years ago uh, in an era where complete games don't exist? Because yeah. you look at uh, what Washington is doing that, uh, you know, they've got a very good deep rotation, but it's also incredibly top heavy. I mean, You've got uh, Scherzer and Strasburg are many levels above, certainly Anibal Sanchez and Patrick Corbin, the way he's pitched in this postseason, even though both of them are also really good pitchers. Mm -hmm. uh, got the two main shutdown aces. You've got a lineup of mostly older guys uh, with like an occasional Juan Soto mixed in, but um, it's also kind of heavily centered around their two big hitters in the middle of the order. Um, and then you've got a bullpen that is Sean Doolittle, Daniel Hudson, and a whole lot of Byung-Hun Kims after that. <laughs> Just a bag full of Byung-Hun Kims. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Against a, a team that is essentially, as you said before, like this current generation's dynasty. So it's a matter of, I, 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 in, again, in an era where the, the new version of the complete game is you can make it three times through the order, does that still work? And yeah. we're about to that out and I'm, I'm very curious about that it's gonna be yeah I mean it's it, you're gonna see them I think push these starting pitchers as far as they can possibly go and it yeah. just it's it just matters how much gas they have left in the tank I right. think at this point to be how competitive they keep it or if Washington really does have a shot because yeah obviously mm -hmm. the Astros are are deeper for the most part all over um but I mean, it's we're thinking back to our favorite World Series in 2016. The 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 Cleveland Indians had uh, sort of a, a shorthanded rotation, and they had to send Kluber out there three times. And Kluber was really dominant twice, and then was out of yeah. gas at the end. And right. so it, it's been a long season. And when guys are pushed that deep into the game, uh, you know, the human body has limits. So uh, yeah. we're going to see. I think basically. A lot of the series will depend will depend on like if Scherzer and Strasburg are running out of gas, you know, uh, yeah. like like Kluber did. Yeah, and in that instance, uh, I think it's probably good for the Nats that uh, they do have a rotation that can go four deep, so you don't have to start mm -hmm. Scherzer or Strasburg on short rest after a full month of like October insanity right. like that. Uh, so you have a better, in my mind, you would have a better chance of getting them as close to their full potential as you could in each start because of that. We're no longer in an era where you can suddenly say, okay, Kurt Schilling is going to start three games of this World Series, or Randy Johnson's going to start two and then come out of the bullpen for game seven. Right. And uh, that's really the only context where we're in an era where we can't have Kurt Schilling is a bad thing. So, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So it I, I'm, I'm very curious to see that uh, I would love to see this, this series go deep, too, just because uh, to have as many chances for a matchup of Cole versus Scherzer or uh, Verlander versus uh, versus Strasburg that we can get. Oh, man. I mean, if, the, if this series goes seven, I mean, just, just just the fun of imagining everyone in the bullpen for that game. Oh, yeah. Just, oh, seeing every, just seeing every pitcher we've talked about in a single game, possibly. <laughs> I mean, it yeah. could be. I mean, you could have a thing where arguably I, you'd have to really do a deep dive into this, but like if every pitcher was available out of the bullpen in game seven and it went into extras and stuff, <laughs> would it be the most great pitchers in a single game that wasn't an all-star game of all time? You know, that, it, like it could possibly be. Oh my God. Like that, that would be like one of the greatest games of all time. If, if yeah. you just had one after the other, after the other come out of the bullpen like that, like, Oh yeah, that is, ultimate baseball pitching showdown. I love yeah. it.
I mean, that's yeah. some, I'm ro- I'm rooting for the Nationals to win the series, but I'm also rooting for Game Seven chaos in that way specifically. Yeah. Oh yeah, like I'm I'm just like talking about this is giving me a bit of chills. So like, yeah. Oh so. man, I ju- I'm I'm a sucker for a really intense starter who uh, coming out of the bullpen in an unexpected way. <laughs> it's a very pro yeah. wrestling move, you know. But like <laughs> in Game Seven when Jake Arrieta started warming up at the end of the uh, in extras, oh, yeah. like oh man, I got yeah that got me real fired up. Yeah. But turned out all we needed was one World Series hero named Mike Go- Montgomery, and yep. uh, the guy that got the job done. So, mm-hmm. and he turned into Martin Maldonado, who is now in the World <laughs> Series. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, World Series hero for the Astros too. You could say it that way, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, so the uh, almost as good as uh, the idea of one ace after the other coming out of the bullpen like that. Uh, maybe like. Ranking, ranking number two in the terms uh, in the scale of baseball things that give me chills and make me feel good about humanity are when you have one piece of shit relief pitcher after the other coming out of the bullpen and just giving it up in the most public way possible. This, yeah. this has been a great October for just horrific human beings getting the comeuppance they deserve between Josh Hader blowing the wild yes. card game nationals and then uh, last night in game six, which is Probably at this point, got to be kind of a classic game at this point. Yeah, the way it uh, ended. So yeah, coming in to try to save the uh, the lead for the Astros in the top of the ninth, and giving up the epic at bat home run, tying home run to DJ LeMahieu. Uh, and then the only thing that can make that better is that somehow then Aroldis Chapman then blew the chance to hold that tie in the bottom, which he did. Which uh, the Chapman Jose Altuve reminded me of something that you dropped earlier, I think, on your away games podcast, talking about uh, a Rizzo, Anthony Rizzo versus Josh Hader matchup, where you have just the most obvious hero possible in baseball versus one of the very worst people in the game. Yeah. And hero wins. And absolutely. It's great. And sports is entertainment. And yes. it, and uh, I enjoy the good guys winning in my entertainment. Mm-hmm. I don't like yes. I don't like movies where the bad guy gets away with it. <laughs> uh, I have tr- I, I have trouble rooting for terribly unlikable protagonists. Mm-hmm. I had I struggled with Breaking Bad in the later seasons. I understand <laughs> it's great drama, but it just it wasn't fully for me. And for the mm-hmm. and in the same ways, yeah, I like seeing a, a good guy beat a bad guy. And there's. Yeah. And you'll see, the, you know, the the worst corners of the internet will come out on on Twitter and uh, you know about sports too, where it's just like it seems like they've never been so energized as to defend someone who isn't even good but a piece of shit. Like we've oh, found yeah. that within the Addison Russell world with uh, yes. with Cubs fans. Um, I don't know if any readers of Out Sports are used to bad people <laughs> on the internet <laughs> being dickheads. I would, or, hope, we, I would hope most of the bad people either steer clear or have an opinion about sports that's probably consistent with their opinions on everything else in life. Yeah. Oh, we have, you know, college athletes sharing their coming out stories. Uh, yes. I, I find this heartwarming and I adore Addison Russell. That doesn't quite <laughs> yeah. It would be an interesting Venn diagram. It's like the, yeah. the, the, uh, the Trump Obama voter that you always hear about, <laughs> you know, where it's like, where is this motherfucker? <laughs> like, who, who is this? Uh, yeah. And so it was, as you said, I, I mean, it was, it's great to see you mentioned in Hader, Chapman and Osuna, three embarrassments of people mm-hmm. who then experienced embarrassments on the baseball field and yeah. in haters uh, and in Hader and Chapman's instances, it led to their teams being done for the yeah. year. And yep. gosh, that's beautiful. And mm-hmm. so now we really just need one more to, to complete the cycle. Yeah. yeah. And hopefully, I mean, it's now hopefully in Osuna's head a little bit. Uh, so, 
And the Nats are certainly capable of uh, of letting him or doing damage to to pretty much well as we saw in the series with Milwaukee and the series with uh, the Dodgers at yeah. any points against any quality level pitcher, the Nationals can go off. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's also going to be kind of a fun story. Is, is that idea of the uh, the all of a sudden the the team that goes from kind of the sad sack, never making anywhere, never winning a playoff series except for that one random weird NLDS from when they were the Expos in the strike year. Right. Uh, so from that to all of a sudden winning several <clears throat> several playoff series in a row, uh, two of which are in about as miraculous a fashion as you can do it. Like that yeah. is that is almost like whiplash inducing in terms of shifting the narrative uh, on the Nationals part. Yeah, uh, and, and you wonder if they're and they must be feeling a little bit invincible right now. And it's yeah. such and the Astros won, uh, you know, they won it all a couple years ago. And uh, I I tend to be someone who roots for I, I like I like seeing new people get a chance to win. And you look mm-hmm. up and down that Nationals roster, and you mentioned how they're an older team. I think they're officially the oldest team by average age in the National League, at least. Yeah. Um, and which is funny because they're you know they have a superstar who is barely not a teen in Juan Soto, <laughs> who's who's genuinely twenty. He's a legit, a legit twenty years old, right? Yeah. Yes. Juan um, yeah. Soto, like that would be an arc sponsored organization (laughs) yes exactly so it's a bunch of older dudes and you look up and down the line of them and i I can't think of almost anyone who has experienced a world series championship out of because scherzer got there uh with detroit but didn't win. no they got swept by the giants in 2012 Mm -hmm. uh yeah that was i think the only time scherzer made it you know and the rest of that rotation uh uh was sanchez sanchez was he on that 2012 tigers team uh yeah i think it Right. So, yeah. So he might have also gotten a chance, but yeah, in terms of that lineup, uh, off the top of my head, I I got nothing. Yeah, um, it's, it's so it, it's a lot of guys. It's a lot of both. I guess what I'm saying is it's a combination of a uh, a lot of older guys who haven't won. Yeah. And uh, and I just love seeing teams like that get a chance to finally win. Right. Um, Which you is know. also kind of what that that Diamondbacks team was too, because yeah. Uh, you had you know, uh, Schilling I'd, had been in there in 93 with the Phillies, but hadn't won. Johnson had never been to the World Series. Um, and then most of that lineup was guys like uh, Luis Gonzalez and Mark Grace, who, mm-hmm. you know, had just kind of hung around. It had been really good for their entire careers, but never had been in a World Series, let alone, let alone win one. Yeah. Uh, and uh, kind of on that subject, I wanted to uh, drop a little bit of tribute to uh, the NLCS MVP, uh, Howie Kendrick. Yeah. It's kind of like a symbol of guys that you've been describing for the past couple of minutes that uh, just really guys who have been there and really competent, but nobody has ever really given him much of a thought other than, yeah, he's probably pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was looking at his numbers last night and prep for this. Uh, Howie Kendrick occasionally uh, has been outstanding as a player. Like he's uh, career war wise uh, wins above replacement is at 32.9, which oh, is, man. you know, not going to be Hall of Fame level, but that's certainly that's an impact on the game and your Ab- time there. Absolutely, that's higher. I like, yeah, I, I think highly of Howie Kendrick, but that's higher than I would have guessed. Yeah, yeah, because uh, he has every so often he he's usually good for about a, a two war year, but every now and again, um, I found in like uh, 2011 he was worth 4.6 wins above replacement. Uh, 2014, 5.4 is his career Jeez. high, which legit like top of the line All Star level. Yeah, and this year, age 37. Um, offensively, his far and away his best season in the year of the juice ball. But even with that, sure. uh, is uh, ops plus, which is a measurement uh, kind of uh, 
depicting how you did kind of against your league average. If league average is 100 uh, ops mm-hmm. plus, Howie Kendrick clocks in at 142 this year. Which, 42% uh, better, right? 42% better. So He's- at age 37 as a middle infielder, which is kind of <laughs> unprecedented almost. I mean, he had 344 this year. Using old, yeah. I mean, using old stats. I know people get, uh, people aren't as excited about batting average as they used to. Yeah, but 344 is, I mean, that's Ted Williams' lifetime batting average. So if you're if you're going to hit that, uh, yeah, you're doing something well in my book. 344. That is that is a fun. That's a fun number. Jeez Louise. Yeah. yeah. This so is. I mean, he spent an entire career. Yeah. Um, being, you know, that level of good to occasionally great. Uh, but never really being noticed. And then finally, in this kind of miracle postseason run that the Nats have gone on, he's got a, he's fully taken advantage of the spotlight's falling on me. Okay, I'm going to hit the extra inning grand slam that sends us into the NLCS and then win the damn MVP in the next series against the Cardinals. And, and yeah, good on you, Howie Kendrick. Good on him. And looking at, uh, I'm looking at his stat line now, and it's just, I mean, it almost looks like he's been consistently improving over the last several years. Yeah. Too, which is I love it. weird. And yeah. Yeah. Love that guys like that get a chance after that long in the game to really just define themselves for an entire fan base. Cause now, I mean, he's going to be a Nats hero for the rest of his life. And uh, after a great career like that, but that is as well-deserved as I can think of. Absolutely. And uh, it's a guy who made the all-star team once in 2011. Um, and this is in uh, just talking about older guys and guys who've been at it uh, long enough. So he's basically, he's basically my age. And uh, when I was in college, I graduated college in 2004. And I remember that's when I was in college is really when I was getting into like prospecting, like checking out minor league players and stuff. Uh, because the Cubs uh, were, uh, they were good at that point, but they had not been before that for kind of mm-hmm. most of our lives. Um, yeah. So I was, uh, I remember reading a lot of in Baseball America and Baseball America had, I remember him him uh, with the Angels being a guy that mm-hmm. was talked about as a prospect when I was in college. Uh, and I, you know, I have gray hair. <laughs> like, and he, I remember this guy being talked about him and Brandon Wood. I remember were the two wow. Angels prospects. This Brandon He's, Wood character was a guy yep. who had like 40 plus bombs in the minors. And everyone was like, this guy looks like a superstar. And Howie Kendrick mm-hmm. seems like a bat to ball guy. High average prospect. You know, maybe you know, maybe he'll hit 300 someday, which he has several times now. Um, and it's just crazy to think, I mean, we're talking 15, 16 years ago, reading about him in publications as some guy who might, mm-hmm. you know, might have a nice career. And 15 years later, he's peaking. That is a beautiful thing. That's wonderful. And, and that really, uh, that example just defines what prospecting is all about, too, isn't it? Where you've got the, the two guys mentioned and one of them has just this really nice career that ends up in this really great heroic moment. And then the other is a guy that I might have heard of at some points that yeah. uh, might have. Yeah, I might have seen play on TV once, <laughs> but uh, really, yeah, other than that, yeah, what he, became of Brent Wood? Yeah, he, he's a, he, I remember he came up and basically just struck out all the time uh, with the Angels. <laughs> and uh, and I believe ended up with the Pirates there. I'm looking up his stats real quick. Um yeah, a guy who's worth negative 3.8 war in 700 at-bats. Um, and he, yeah, last played in the league in 2011. And this is a guy who, you know, they came up, and I think Wood was generally considered the better prospect because the guy hit bombs, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sure, Brandon Wood would have been a Cubs number one prospect. I mean, yeah. that sounds precisely like the Corey Patterson, Felix P.A. melange 
Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, uh, so one other thing uh, about the Nats being old, and then we'll move on to other topics. But uh, I, I think it's great for baseball to have a team of old players as well doing this well for themselves just because the game has been so skewed now toward all the new young stars. Uh, and especially given how reticent teams are to pay for quality old players at this yeah. point, uh, to see a group like that in the Nets, I mean, while they didn't spend money on Bryce Harper this offseason, did spend money bringing in Patrick Corbin. Mm-hmm. So they, they were like actually trying. And to see a team get rewarded for not just trying, but for actually giving these guys who have these legit good track records a chance, it's it's good to see that that still can happen in, the, in yeah. this current iteration of the game, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And you look at the the rotation, those top three guys are all guys making big money. You know, those are all those are all guys who aren't super young, but all mm-hmm. guys who the Nats signed to decent contracts, even Strasburg, who they drafted and, uh, you know, I would say developed, although Strasburg was yeah. one of those guys where it's like there wasn't a ton of de- development um, <laughs> yeah. to, to be needed. But, um, you know, they extended. Development was they made sure he didn't injure himself while signing his name on the line, I think. So. Yeah, that was about it. And they did that well, and then they shut him down. And then, yeah. uh, <laughs> and then, uh, but they, he's even a case where they extended him a few years ago. You know, they gave him a big money extension. And yeah, I think uh, as people who I think are team players making money as opposed to team owners keeping money, uh, yeah. it is cool to see guys who have proven themselves in their careers get paid and then actually return Mm-hmm. value there uh it's yeah. very fancy that's funny how that might work every now yeah. and again yeah uh yeah so uh yeah uh one so moving on kind of a uh, little uh digression from our howie kendrick discussion but also kind of tributes to other great old players uh cc sabathia is a damn hall of famer to me yeah. at this point uh, i mean we're talking about how long ago uh i i i that Howie Kendrick was a name that uh, I, I was reading about before he ever made the majors. Man, CC been going since 2001. Yeah. And not just going, he won 17 games in 2001. Yes. And, and, like, uh, you mentioned Pedro Strope earlier. Uh, yeah. CC Spathia 2001 is the original hat tilt guy. Yeah. But, good uh, and yeah, I wonder, has, has he ever had to deal with that at every stop of the way in Cleveland, Milwaukee, and New York? I feel uh, like not really, right? Like, yeah, I, I, off the top of my, unless, you know, by all means, if any Yankee, Indian, or Brewers fans know about this, let me know on on Twitter at Ken Schultz underscore. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, as as far as I know, doesn't get near the shit Pedro got uh, for for doing the same thing and being just as cool as Pedro Stroke, honestly. Yeah. A cool guy who seems like everyone, every, uh, a guy who teammates have loved forever. Yes. Oh, my God. And you saw it uh, in, in the really sad way that it all ended for him with him throwing or separating his shoulder on on uh, the pitch against George Springer that uh, when they had to take him out and the trainer had to lead him off the mound, like seeing everybody, not just from the Yankees, but the Astros mm-hmm. applauding his exit from the field. Uh, I mean, you can tell that's when you've had an impact on not just your team, but the sport. And what, I mean, what a literal leave it all out there. I mean, he left his yeah. shoulder yeah. there, you know, yeah. I mean, like the, the, you can't push your body any farther than that. It's amazing. <laughs> the guy's only in his thir- age 38 season, as yeah. long as he's been around. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's, <laughs> he's just been through an incredible amount. 
and uh, seems like he's been a great teammate at every stop, a guy mm-hmm. people respect. As you said, just extremely fun. I mean, he's huge. Yep. His, yep. He's just, it's just like, <laughs> uh, it's fun to have an outlier. This guy's just a uh-huh. big boy. Was he, He's like 6'7", <laughs> 300? Yeah, oh, easily 300, yeah. I remember, I think it was the Brewers game program when they got him in 2008, tried to list him as like 280, and it's like, who are you trying to fuck with, Brewers? <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, and it's fun that the dude can hit bombs. He's pitched yeah. in the AL for so much of his career, but he was a big t- – he was like a hitting pro- – he could have been a yeah. hitting prospect too. Oh, and, yeah. yeah. More than half a season in the National League, like he could easily have accumulated 20 home runs in his career given given just the rate of, of his power stats. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to throw a couple of stats that I looked up uh, out here at you just to just to make the quick case of uh, sure. CC for fame. Uh, career 62.5 war. That'll work. That that does it for me. Uh, 3,093 strikeouts. Uh, his ERA is on the high side. His career ERA is at 374. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you have to take into account several things that uh, he started his career at the height of the steroid era, ended right. it at the height of the juiced ball era. So you're kind of bookending huge offensive eras on either side, pitching in Yankee Stadium, Miller Park, and Jacobs Field for his entire career, three giant hitters parks. Right. Uh, ERA plus, which same kind of function as Ops plus earlier, measures him against the average of his league each year. Career-wise is uh, 116, which uh, is kind of in the same company of Mike Mussina. Mussina is about a 123 with the same high ERA. So Mm -hmm. in my mind, that's close enough to comp him. And my favorite stats, uh, uh, CC had six seasons above a 130 ERA plus in his career. Uh, but if I were to, to give you uh, the example of that one half season with the Brewers where he made the 17 starts in 2008 and scared the hell out of what was then the best Cubs team that we'd ever seen to that point. Right. Uh, what guess his ERA plus was from those 17 starts in Milwaukee in 2008? Oh, God, with the, with the Brewers? I mean, what, I, I mean... It's got to be in the 200 range, right? Or like around 200? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it is at 255. <laughs> yeah, that's... <laughs> and 55% better than league average when he got traded to the Brewers for their playoff run in 2008. Which is... That, sti- that? <laughs> Statistically, yeah. is that two pitchers throwing at the same time? Is that- <laughs> and literally, given, the, again, what we said about CC being 6'6", 300. So, yeah. <laughs> that's true. And pitching every three days. Uh, yes. That really is two rotation spots, yeah. basically. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's the thing. And, and this... And this is not the most glamorous stat, but as the years go by and as we see how few starting pitchers are able to throw uh, past the third time through the order at this point, uh, CC had eight years of over 200 innings pitched and five over 230 in his career. 230 is crazy now, thinking about that at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I think at at this point, we have to understand that that innings, innings loads like that, well, it's not, you know, the thing that jumps off the page, like incredible strikeout or incredible ERA numbers, like that is so incredibly valuable in this era. Well, uh, and, and, yeah. and especially when you talk about things like the ERA being a little on the high side, something that also affects that is if you're pitching all the innings, like you, you, efficient, yeah. uh, your efficiency will go down with the mm-hmm. amount you put out there, just, you know, right. especially when you're a pitcher. And like, that's, mm-hmm. that's why pitchers get pulled out before the end of the game. It's because throwing yes. more is harder, you know, right. um, it makes all the sense in the world. And that, that's the Jack Morris hall of fame argument. And Jack finally made it a couple of years ago. It's CC Sabathia is that argument, but with peripherals that actually back it up. Yeah. So, oh, he's for sure. Better than Jack Morris. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. So yeah, in my mind, it should not be a question in five years that, 
that he'll go into Cooperstown. I, I, it'll, it might be a Mucina case, or it might take a couple of years beyond that, but he shouldn't have to wait long at all, honestly. And it should, in my mind, be first ballot. But Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Let, let, uh, I'm looking looking at his page here, Lee. I mean, just seeing, you know, we talked about batting average as sort of an old-school stat before, but, I mean, you know, if you like old-school, the weirdo wins. I mean, mm-hmm. the win numbers, uh, over 250 in this yeah. era. Um, led the league in wins back-to-back years, 2009, mm-hmm. 2010, and he never won in single digits until he was injured in 2014. Yeah. I mean, 13 years of double-digit wins in a row. I mean, that's like Maddox-esque stuff right mm-hmm. there, uh, just going out there and winning most of the time, all the time. And I had such an interesting narrative with this guy where he he won a World Series with the Yankees, so that's cool. But like, that's not what you think of as his signature you know, dominate, you think of him with Milwaukee, a team he was just with for a second, you know, Mm -hmm. but put everything on the line when monetarily that was not the smart thing to do and just dominated his ass off. uh, Yeah. Through, yeah, through that season. Um, Yeah. In those, those 17 starts with the Brewers, uh, again, it was just a half season's worth of baseball, but uh, can you think of a better pitcher in Milwaukee Brewers history than those 17 games of CC Sabathia? I sure can't. No, I mean, I'm trying yeah, to think ben, of the, the, like ben Sheets is, a little bit, but no, yeah. nobody really comes close. No, Ben Sheets it. was the first guy that I thought of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. like, I know Grinky was there for a minute, but like that right. wasn't, that's not the Grinky you think of. Right. Um, yeah. No, that, I mean, I, no one I think has pitched that. No one has been uh, as consistently good in as important of a time as CC was in Brewers history, probably as a pitcher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so uh, that is uh, yeah our kind of discussion about where we are in baseball now, and I guess we'll close this out uh, by talking about uh, uh, a, a theme subject for for my first podcast. And as I mentioned, we both mentioned several times throughout this, we're both raised in uh, the culture of Chicago Cubs baseball, which means that we are intimately, exquisitely familiar with the concept of uh, baseball pain, mm-hmm. uh, which is an important part of being a baseball fan to me, and. Uh, and I talked about this a couple weeks ago a little bit when I was on uh, away games with you guys. That uh, Where we are now in terms of we've just come off of a, a pretty dismal Cubs year, I'd say, that uh, ended about as badly as a Cubs year can. Yeah, uh, I didn't they, like it. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't no, like the uh, end, I should say. Yeah. I'm a guinness, decidedly. Yeah. I'm not for it. <laughs> uh, we're, you know, yeah, when you, when you get swept by the Cardinals in a four-game series at home and end up blowing your division lead to the your arch rival like that uh in a pretty stunning way yeah it 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 leaves a mark it's it's not good so in in the wake of that i find that i guess what's different about baseball pain for me now and especially in terms of being a cub fan is that yeah it makes me angry it makes me sad while we're going through it it's not fun it's pretty miserable uh but the one thing that i'm not is that i'm not haunted by what the cubs uh history of losing is anymore because of the, the gift of the 2016 Cubs, that this is now no longer part of this all-encompassing, crushing narrative that, that weighs down on you with each succeeding year of loss. That it's now just, it's just a really shitty baseball year that, uh, mm-hmm. that happens. And part of the function of really shitty baseball years is you got to go through them to remember, to, to really enjoy the years that actually do end well and, and are fun. And even in years like a 2017 Cubs where, uh, they start out slowly, but end up winning the division and winning the NLDS and losing in the NLCS. But 
are still a great ride to go through. It's, it's worth reminding yourself that, yeah, that's still fun. And that's part of the reason why we still pay attention and this still matters to us. Absolutely. And it's like you you need some peaks so much of so much of this in baseball season. And I think of all the sports, <laughs> baseball to me is the most just like good direct parallel to what life is, mainly because <laughs> it takes up most of the days of life uh, like yeah. others uh, and other sports don't with their uh, other sports just don't play as many games. They don't last <laughs> as long. And so uh, th- and. If you live a life where nothing good happens, that sucks. <laughs> Every, yes. You need a win, you know? Like, you need a win to remind yeah. yourself that it's possible to have wins. That doesn't mean that every day needs to be great. You need to get promoted every day and fall in love every day and all that stuff. That doesn't need mm-hmm. to happen to live a worthwhile life. But you need some exposure to, like, exhale and be like, this is what I thought life could be. Yes. You know, and in a sporting way, that's what we got with 2016. You need you need to have the thing that you hope for. It doesn't have to be like it doesn't mean everything in your life has to come out perfectly. But you need a win to remind yourself that there's a reason to keep hoping every day. And that's what yes. we got in 2016. And we were all fan bases like to be like, oh, we're tortured. Nothing good happens for us. You know, you talked to uh, we both lived in New York. I still do. And Mets fans, you ta- love talking about how tortured they are. Oh, and yeah. I had to explain, I had to explain this to them that it's different being a Cubs fan because your dad remembers winning. Like mm-hmm. people, you know, yes. remember winning. Literally, no one alive that we could talk yeah. to had experienced it, and that is different. Um, yes, and, oh, absolutely. You know, uh, I mean, we, it, it, it's it's a multi generational release when the Cubs finally were able to to vanquish everything in their history in 2016, and and yeah, there's nothing comparable to that when when like it, it's like everybody at the same time finds out that all of a sudden, oh yeah, I guess baseball life is worth it after all. That, Hope is that, possible, you know. Yes. It's just yeah. like a good thing can happen. And then <laughs> not only is it good for that moment, but it makes all the moments going forward better yeah. because in your mind now, a good thing can happen, you right. know? And that, and, that and yeah. you know that regardless of the bad things that you know are going to come down the pike at some point, you still have at least have that foundation of knowing that you were there mm-hmm. when it happened. And there's nothing that compares to that feeling of, mm-hmm. of, of yeah, like, I mean, not just not just victory, but historic victory. Um, yeah, absolutely. And that's uh, one of the reasons I'm rooting for the Nationals this year. It's just like yeah. less, less guys in that fan, that, you know, that fan base, they haven't been around that long, but the, that still, that fan base hasn't experienced that. So, you know, yeah. it's a fun time. I hope everyone gets to experience it once. Well, almost everyone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, having, right. Yeah, having experienced <laughs> it ourselves, it's like, yeah, it, I really would like to, yeah, it's, it's nice to see that for other fan bases because in a way too, it kind of, takes you back to that moment when that happened for you too. It's like you, you see a couple familiar things like the, the, uh, the, the classic Fox audience shot or crowd crowd shot. I mean, of, uh, when things are super tense for a team that's never won and you see just the look of utter misery on every fan's face as they, they know what's about to happen. And then kind of the joyous release when yeah. all of us, the, the Nats in this example, do something great, and and they realize that oh, this is this is completely different now, and this is this is something that, that a new paradigm that I've I've never experienced before. It, that yeah, it it I get that kind of emotional hit of oh yeah, that that's kind of pre 2016 me to 2016 me right there. Yeah, uh, and 
And sports and fandom in general, I think one thing that is exciting about it, and one, one of the many reasons why I love it, is that it can it forces an authentic emotional response out of you in an honest way that yes. you can't yeah. really control. You know, no. you, you find you find what happens to you when uh, you feel really dark. I'm sure mm -hmm. as you talk about the crowd chat, I bet a lot of those people would be surprised what they're doing with their hands and their faces, uh, yeah. you know, when they feel like that. And then the same thing when, it, when the euphoric good thing happens, it right. comes out of you in ways you can't predict. And it's cool to be unpredictable to yourself still, yeah. you know? And to, you know, force, I know you, in your darkest fandom moments, you were oh walking around your hotel in Dubuque, <laughs> Iowa, right? Yes, uh, just, yes, walking or pacing the hotel room, uh, and then just kind of uh, right after Chapman gave up the, the bomb to Rajay Davis, um, it, it's like in that darkest moment, I went from like pure white hot rage right before to uh, to just instantly dead inside. Yeah, same. Uh, yeah, and like to the point where promising myself that I am not going to give myself emotionally to these guys anymore uh, <laughs> unless they actually come back and finally win this damn thing yeah. because the, the, uh, I just don't ever want to feel these feelings again. It's too uh, much. Yeah, and, and part of being a sports fan is kind of just deciding that, yeah, you're going to irrationally give of yourself to this, this thing that's completely out of your control and really has no real-world application other than your emotional commitment at that point. Uh, and it's, it's, it's the not knowing what's going to happen with that emotional commitment that, that kind of makes it fun, I yeah. guess. It makes it matter, you know? It yeah. just, it makes it matter. And it, uh, yeah, not knowing where it's, go where it's going. There's, it's not like a movie or a TV show because you cannot go to the Wikipedia plot page and get the spoiler. Right. You can't right. have a friend who worked on staff who can tell you how it ended or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, this is real. It's happening right now. Everyone's yeah. trying, and you don't know how it's going to end. So you can't fake yeah. it. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, sports really, can, they can be a genuinely authentic thing. And mm -hmm. it's, uh, you know, and, what's, and another thing along the life wins and losses thing is just, like, so many things in life are, are gray. You know, mm -hmm. it's like it's hard to say sometimes, like whether today was a win or a loss, whatever, yeah. you know, and uh, it is really nice to be like, today was good, <laughs> you know, to be able to tell yourself <laughs> yep. today or this year in sporting terms, like for us in 2016, this right. was good. This is yes. this is what people get tattoos about. This is something, <laughs> you know, like this is how people will frame memoirs. This is, uh, you know, it's nice to just have have a thing where you can be like this is good and at the same time you know it's worthwhile to, to know this was a loss too you know um yeah yeah we have mathematical and historical proof of how yeah. this day was. and and yeah i don't know if if you're still like this but i still am to an extent that uh at the end of the day during the baseball season that's uh, oftentimes kind of my evaluation of the day the, the cubs score will get factored into it somehow where it's like once they win, once uh, once they play, start playing Go Cubs Go and whip out the W flags, it's like, okay, nothing bad can happen from this moment forward until I wake up tomorrow, and yeah. at least baseball-wise. And there, there is something kind of oddly comforting and to that really strange bit of irrationality. 
Yeah, uh, but it's it's one of many things that shades just how you feel about the world around you, too. It's a right. thing, you know, I mean, because when the Cubs win, the rest of your day is going to at least trend better. You're going to, yes. like, your your mood and your feelings are going to give more benefit of the doubt. I mean, the same mm -hmm. thing happens if you run into a stranger and the, uh, on the street that, that does something nice, or you see a fun dog, in my case. <laughs> That'll make me happy. As opposed to, like, if some asshole knocks over your coffee, like, that mm -hmm. will shade the other things in your day, too. And I think, as, uh, in our case, sports is just, like, a heightened one of those, where it's just a yeah. thing in your day that colors everything else. It just colors with a bigger brush for us. Yeah, some asshole knocks over your coffee, which pretty much to me just defines the entire city of St. Louis at this point. So. <laughs> sure, yeah, we, we did not have a great weekend there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, yeah, sometimes you make trips, uh, road trips to support your team, and uh, things could have gone better throughout that entire road. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, let's wrap this up. Uh, give me your, your worst instance of baseball pain story. Let's, let's, let's let uh, the listeners revel in the schadenfreude for a bit. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, my. I guess my my Cubs fandom started with uh, with a painful experience. First game I ever went to, I was a, a child living on Long Island, and my dad took me to a Mets Cubs game. I loved the Cubs since I was born, even though my mom was a White Sox fan, my dad was a my dad was a Mets fan. I don't know, it just mm -hmm. happened to me. Um, <laughs> and in the first game I saw, my favorite player Andre Dawson hit two home runs, and the Cubs blew the game in the ninth. So that was how it began. Um, yeah. And then it it's just felt these Cubs way to just get introduced to this team. Yes. Um, but I think it's for me, it's I guess it's hard to pick the the biggest uh, what was the most painful because the Cubs have really they really painted with all the colors of the wind when it comes to there's been different <laughs> kinds of pains, you know, because uh, 2003 was obviously a big one for us. Um, but for me, I think it was almost more painful the next year because I was mm. geared up for 2004 to be like yeah last year the 2003 year was a pleasant surprise that the cubs were as good as they were and then 2004 i was expecting them to okay now we're in it for real and yeah. uh it just felt weird kind of all year like it, it never quite got going and then i took my wife to her first cubs game ever and it was in uh it was in chase stadium again uh, that piece of shit field. <laughs> and well, I was back living in New York again. I grew up mostly in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And the Cubs, there was a week to go. And if the Cubs won, I think they would have gone up. Do you remember if it was a game and a half or two and a half at that point? Uh, I want to say it would have been two and a half because they, they still had what felt to me like a healthy lead at that point. Right. With a, week, with a week to go in the season. With a week uh, to go. Winning in the ninth inning. And this is the yep. first game my, my, my wife had ever been to. Um, and, uh, Latroy Hawkins came in for the Cubs, uh, and he blew, <laughs> yes. And he blew the game with home runs to guys named Victor Diaz and Craig Brazell, who mm -hmm. Brandon Wood ass names really, yeah. uh, you know, by, by the way, how many Mets fans do you think remember the names Victor Diaz or Craig Brazell? That's, I mean, uh, I bet less than Cubs fans do. Yeah. Gotta be like just a handful at this point. Yeah. And, and they are, they are. Yeah, they are tattooed into our minds for the rest of our lives. Like, you mentioned either one to me, and I know exactly what game you're talking about and what they did to us. Absolutely. And they did that, and it was – and so it was just a bleak feeling when you get a walk-off home run when you're around people screaming at you because you mm -hmm. like the other team and they suddenly feel yeah. powerful. So it was a really – it was a pretty bad – uh, but accurate introduction to my wife about, uh, you know, life as a Cubs fan at that point, because at that point, like you said, they still had the lead in the division, but they blew it in the final week and that felt inevitable. Um, yeah. 
I remember watching that on TV and uh, Tim McCarver, who was, you know, at that point in full Tim McCarver mode, uh, once Brazil hit the walk-off home run, said something like, the Cubs are in trouble. And I remember thinking to myself that, no, they've still got a game and a half lead with a week to go. That this, that, that they can be fine. That, that this, this is not trouble to me. But, uh, yeah, turns out it's five decades in the game at that point. Yeah, Tim knew what he was talking about, unfortunately. Yeah, and the Cubs weren't good again for years, for yeah. sev- several years. Yeah. So, uh, okay. Yeah. Hey. Uh, yes, to me, it's, and it's, by the way, also, I'm sure probably a good thing that, uh, the one thing Mets fans are known for is being magnanimous in victory. <laughs> yeah. must, I should delight. say, we, we talked about a real bad weekend in St. Louis this year, uh, and obviously Cubs cards, Cubs, Cubs and Cardinals are the biggest rivals of each other. Uh, I've had much worse experiences with Mets fans yeah. than I have with Cardinals fans, uh, uh, in person. The first ever. fans can muster in, in the wake of that sweep was uh, you had already left by this point, uh, mm-hmm. which was well, well chosen. On part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Adam and I were walking back from Bush Stadium to where we parked the car and uh, just walking from downtown St. Louis. And we hear a voice as we walk past call, call out, go Cardinals. Oh, I guess you didn't see the humor. And I was like, yeah, technically you're not wrong. Yeah. Uh, you cheered. Have humor, you first have to try to make a joke. Yes. And there was no actual punchline there. So, yeah. Uh, right. Your trash talk is accurate. Yeah. It's also just a cheer for your own team. <laughs> yeah. it's, not only is it not humorous, but it's just, I mean, it's fine. That's not even, it's not even technically mean. I guess it's rude to like yell it in the face of someone who you know disagrees right. with such sentiment. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you're correct. Did not, yeah. Did not it, it, pick it, up on the. Very St. Louis smack, I guess. Uh, yeah. And uh, the other thing is that uh, it's, I, I think of Shea Stadium as kind of like the New Yorkers who look fondly at Shea Stadium seem to be like if you were to do a Venn diagram. It would be almost the perfect circle with New Yorkers who are wistful for the days when Times Square was nothing but hookers, drugs, and porn. Sure. Like, yeah. You hear them talk about it as like this was when New York was real, and this this means something to me. And I've been to Shea Stadium, and and really, mm-hmm. like this this is this is what you're missing. Yeah, real doesn't equal shitty. You can have no. like you can have great memories in a place that sucks. You know what I mean? Like that that can yeah. happen. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, the place. No, that was. I mean, a bad stadium. Personally, obviously, it did not look good. Uh, mm-hmm. It there's airplanes uh, landing yeah. in it all the time. When your main feature is keeping track of the number of planes from LaGuardia that fly over, yeah, that's not really baseball heaven to me. No. But uh, I'm not Kevin Costner, so what do I know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so my uh, my baseball pain story, which you well know, as I've told many, many times over. You got a uh, bunch, too. So it's like you could, I think yeah. I know which one you're going with, but there, there. Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of good choices. Yeah, there's a lot of nominees because, again, Cubs. But, mm. uh, but, yeah, I mean, when... I was at game six of the 2003 playoffs and yeah, you don't get much more soul crushing and, and then, than that particular experience. And, and what kind of what you mentioned earlier when we were talking about like the collective history of cub fandom, like the best example of like the difference between what our pain was up until 2016 versus so many other teams pain was, I remember on the way to that game, uh, my dad was driving the two of us to, uh, to Wrigley field that night. And one of the things we talked about was that uh, he was kind of reminiscing about his Cub fandom and Cub childhood. And he talked to me about asking his dad, like, had you ever seen Mordecai Brown pitch? 
Uh, and what what would that have been like? And then my my grandpa Schultz was not that old, but uh, <laughs> and also if people don't know deep uh, baseball history, a guy yeah. named Mordecai, nicknamed Three Finger Brown, is <laughs> as old as that sounds. Like yes. it, it, that is <laughs> you know names that have been retired basically. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Um, and we were going to and the thought the thought hit me afterwards that uh, yeah that the Cubs had just blown a game and lost a series to the Marlins, which, I mean, you talk about a team where there's nothing even close to an experience like that, that you can share with your dad or like, what do you do? Ask your dad about Arrestus Destrada or <laughs> Chucky Carr, for God's sake. Yeah. Did you ever see Brett Barbary to bunt the ball? <laughs> and what I remember about that, that night in particular is, is just like the, 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 the biggest swerve in terms of, crowd experience possible where it was, you know, the seven innings of just expectant joy. Uh, and it, it was uh, that that first seven where, where Pryor was dominant and the Cubs scored their first run in the first innings from like from then on, it was like they kept adding on what you're thinking. This is what a playoff team should do. This, this feels right somehow. And then uh, kind of in, in the famous moments where uh, we're, uh, Castillo hit the foul ball that, that Bartman deflected where I was seated um, in Wrigley Field. We had incredible seats down the third base line, kind of not field box, but like one step back. And the angle where I was at, uh, where I saw the foul ball descending into left field, I saw Alou disappear into that corner. Uh, and then uh, instead of like seeing what happened, I just heard this giant cry of, oh, like surrounding me on all sides. And then, like, almost immediately from there, screaming to a chant of, asshole, asshole, asshole. So oh, I didn't yeah. know that a fan had deflected the ball away from a loop. Uh, right. But I heard this sound, and I thought, that sounds horrific, like something had happened. But Like something even, bad and new and weird. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, uh, and it was like, as I say, drastic turn from that point onward in terms of how the fans felt. Uh, and the players, of course, afterwards talked about it, too, that that that, that was the turning point. But even so, uh, and this is the point that I always tried to make afterwards, is, emphasize as much as I can, that in that situation, you were up three to nothing with one out in the eighth inning and a runner on second base. And you had five outs to go. And I remember people holding up five as soon as they made the first out of that inning, five fingers, like yeah. all over the park. That's etched into my mind forever. Yeah. And I remember hearing a guy in back of us, too, yelling, I can smell the World Series. And both my dad and I kind of looked at each other like, you don't say that ever here. Yeah. You, do you know what team you're rooting for? Yeah. Uh, don't even, get cocky even, about something that's literally, that has not happened in anyone's yeah. lifetime. That's, yeah. Yeah. In generations. Uh, so even with all that, uh, runner on second, two outs to go in this inning, five outs to go in the game, up by three. Oddly enough, in baseball history, teams have escaped this particular <laughs> predicament before. Once or twice, I, I seem to recall that teams are able to get out of that particular bit of trouble. <laughs> right, they've escaped that distinct advantage. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it wasn't until um, uh, after Padre uh, Rodriguez uh, had driven in the first run to make it 3-1, to one, uh, and then Miguel hit Cabrera, hit the surefire double play ball that Alex Gonzalez took the step back on, and I can still picture, see that, Clear as day in my mind. Uh, yeah. I see the ball bouncing off the bottom of his glove and hitting the ground. And that's when I turned to my dad and I said, it's happening. Yep. And I don't believe in curses. I 
the whole story of the Billy Goat is utter bullshit made to sell very bad hamburgers in Chicago. <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, that, that was in that moment. Like, that was the emotion I felt, and that was the thing I said. And then, you know, sure enough, eight runs later. Uh, and what I remember about that is that the worst part about all that is after that eight-run rally, you still had to sit there for an inning and a half and just take it. Oh. And, yeah. Like, uh, yes. I remember, like, even the public address announcer sounded, like, deflated and crushed as he was reading players' names. And it was just <laughs> such an eerie kind of quiet that, that it, everybody talks about when something bad happens in baseball. But this was one that just, you, as I say, you had to sit in and marinate because it just lasted. And uh, after the game ended, uh, I think it ended on, a, like, a foul pop-up or something like that. Perfect. Like, yeah. yeah it, it was just a feeling inside, like, Every all the negative feelings uh, of, of that moment, uh, all the mix of like sadness and anger, in the sense that we were about on the verge of something great that was just taken from us. And I remember thinking in my mind, like, I need to get this out somehow. What do I do? And I thought, I, I remember physically thinking, I should cry. And so I just <laughs> kind of, and I just just kind of started bawling and, and spent like a minute or two sobbing on my dad's shoulder, just repeating it's never going to happen, never going to happen. <laughs> and that, that is like the exquisite, the, the most exquisite kind of baseball pain, I guess. Uh, oh, like right. I ever want to feel something like that again. Uh, but that's, that's the kind of thing that 13 years later made that release like that much more incredible. And, and again, ended me with uh, in a heap sobbing, but it's like, uh, if you if you bookend the sobbing, like the the sobbing of joy in 2016, does not happen at all without that soul crushing sobbing that happened in 2003 to me. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, no, it's a, it's like an elasticity of emotion where you you have to pull the slingshot back so far to get mm -hmm. the force going forward, and yeah. really pull the slingshot back quite far. Uh, I mean, when you're when you're telling yourself. I should cry is a very, yeah. it's a very funny bleak thing where it's like, yeah. well, I'm going to break. I, I don't have to cry, but maybe to survive, I should, you know, just <laughs> like, hey, let's do something. Something needs to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it needed some kind of purge somehow. And uh, yeah, yeah it, it, baseball pain should probably shouldn't go that far, but, uh, but that was about as an extreme example as you can get. Yeah, from that it, game? yeah, it's. I remember being. Shy. I mean, it's just such like a. You know, it's like, in a bad way. It's how people of our parents' generation remember where they were for the moon landing or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. in Cub fandom. I mean, it's just in sports fandom. It's one of the yeah. biggest collapses of all time, right. and it fit the narrative of the Cubs so perfectly at that time that you know people were especially national national media was addicted to it, you know? Right. Um, and I remember when, when we met and finding out you were at that game, it's like finding out, so it's like <laughs> finding out your parents' friend was on the moon, <laughs> yeah. you know, for the moon landing. It's or it's just, question, yeah. What, what was Nam like? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just like, wow, you were there for that. Much respect. Get my man <laughs> a root beer on me, uh, for this one. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Sir. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, so, uh, Kevin, this has been a pleasure, my friend. Uh, yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for helping talk me through this first I kind of know what I'm doing podcast here. So, yeah, uh, man. I mean, you've, yeah. you've, you've heard podcasts. This sure sounded like one, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Well, uh, 
yeah, thank you all for anybody who happens to be listening. This is on the Outsports Podcast Network. Uh, subscribe by searching for Outsports Podcasts and subscribing to the whole bunch. We do a new one every day. Mine uh, is every Monday. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Ken Schultz underscore, Instagram at Ken Finguy. Uh, Kevin, both of yours are at Kevin McCaff. At Kevin right. McCaff, yes. Just Kevin McCaff for both. And yeah. anything else you would like to plug before we say goodbye? No, man, I think you got it all at the beginning. Just, uh, yeah, cool. just the Twitter and Instagram. And uh, if you like baseball, Way Games podcast. And if you like us, if you like two dudes watching all the episodes of Sex and the City for the first time, at Sex and the City, it's on Instagram and, uh, you know, where you find podcasts. Awesome. This is great. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thanks, man. Catch you later. All right, be well.